Hey, everyone. Welcome back to 51% Crypto Research Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Shaughnessy. Today on the podcast, I had Arlen Colwick, the co-founder of BlockNet, an interoperability protocol that's now live. This is one of the most contentious or complex issues in blockchain is the interoperability between different chains. There's a lot of teams working on this from BlockNet to Cosmos to Polkadot to Ion and others, and it's a really complex item to tackle. Arlen goes through everything from the different players in the space, the different interoperability protocols, to the problems with each, to what we're actually trying to solve with interoperability overall. He gives us a great overview of the market and everything going on. I think you're going to learn a lot in this episode, so bear with us as we walk through this complex issue. We just want to remind our listeners that on 51pct.io, we recently released reports on some of the topics discussed during this podcast, including Definity, which is linked below, and including Ethereum which is also linked below. Our research reports are read by the top funds, analysts, and investors around the world, and you can access them by clicking below. As a special treat, our listeners can use coupon code 50 for 50% off a retail subscription to 51pct.io, the leading crypto analysis source. With that, here's my conversation with Arlen. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, I'm on Arlen, the co-founder of BlockNet. Arlen, how's it going? Tom, uh, very well, thank you. Great to be on the show. Awesome. Well, Arlen, why don't you just give us a quick overview about yourself and how you got started in crypto? Well, uh, it was 2013. I was in Oxford doing some meta-ethical research. And for some inexplicable reason, I I chanced upon the Bitcoin white paper. Um, It really jumped out to me for an odd reason, um, which is that uh, there's a statement in that original white paper, which which goes, I define a coin as a chain of digital signatures. Now, this was really startling to me because I was looking at um, a theory of how you even get a thing like value in the world. Um, And it was a radically relational theory. Now, here's someone making this assertion who has actually built a protocol that was running, which just is implementing that that theory that I was entertaining. It was incredible. If someone just had made a digital currency, which literally is just its own history. I mean, if a coin is a chain of digital signatures, then there is no separate object. It just is, you know, some person having it and passing it to the next person, to the next person, and so on. That really got my attention. Um, I spent the next nine months or so understanding Bitcoin down to the byte level, just researching, reading wherever I could. And I guess it went from there. That's that's awesome. It's a small world because what you're working on just correlated so well. Yeah, no, it was it's amazing. Um lucky me. I, I I'm actually still doing some some of that philosophical work because um <laughs> I still think it's correct. And um I haven't mentioned Bitcoin in any of that yet, but maybe I should one day. Yeah, no, that that would make uh, that would be interesting. Well, Arlen, I mean, I, this is supposed to be an interoperability deep dive, so I'm thrilled to get started into it. Uh, before we get into BlockNet, which you're the co-founder of, which is tackling this problem, I guess let's just start at a high level on what is interoperability um, for crypto. Okay, uh, interoperability in general is the ability for different systems to speak to one another. Um, so if one is designed to deliver some type of service um, and then another does a different one, then they can kind of play nice together, to put it colloquially. In the blockchain space, um, the term interoperability is actually contested. 
Um, for example, um, I think about two or three years ago, Vitalik uh, was of the opinion that blockchain interoperability should specifically involve the, the databases um, because the blockchain is, most strictly speaking, a database. Um, and so his idea was more about getting one contract to run on a different chain, something pretty exotic like that. Um, however, that's definitely not the only interpretation, and that's because blockchains are generally thought of as a cluster of technologies and not just a database. So there's a whole network protocol for all kinds of things like mining, um, like transaction validation, um, like signing, all the rest, uh, hashing. And, um, well, you know, a blockchain just kind of is generally thought of as this peer-to-peer process of deciding which things make it into the database and not just the database itself. And so broadly speaking, interoperability is, um, and this is the view I take, uh, interoperability between blockchains is these different blockchain systems being able to, um, to intercommunicate and to be coordinated together. That's super interesting, Arlen. Um, and I guess that solves a lot of problems. So would interoperability be just the transfer of crypto assets between chains, or is this the transfer of data between chains? Um, it's, I think it's both of that, those, and I think it's more as well. Um, the, uh, you know, let's start with decentralized exchange. Um, I mean, that is really a matter of, um, of two peers coordinating their actions in such a way that if one peer doesn't play nice and doesn't follow the steps correctly, then the other peer doesn't have to worry about losing their money. Um, so in that situation, the chains don't actually speak to each other. Uh, one chain doesn't modify another chain at all. But nonetheless, there is a sequence of actions um, between the two parties that does affect the chains and the sequence needs to be followed very precisely. Um, and so I think that's quite a good example of the more general notion of interoperability um, that's, that I'm, I'm endorsing here. Uh, but that's obviously not all of it. Um, for example, you could, you could imagine a very simple interchain messaging app. Maybe you made it a little bit like WhatsApp or one of these instant messages. And, um, you know, that would, that would be a simple, mess, uh, a simple way of, of passing kind of data from peer to peer. And these peers are running on different blockchains. Um, and you'd basically be ex- exploiting their peer-to-peer networks and running a, a, an overlay between the two networks. Um, but, you know, it can, get, it can get a lot more exotic than these two use cases um, that we mentioned. I mean. One thing that I'm looking at, for example, is um, the ability to invoke Ethereum contracts from uh, a node on any other blockchain. And I think that's really exciting and it has obvious appeal to developers. Um, you know, for example, maybe you're, uh, you're on Bitcoin and your use case involves Tether. Um, but then there are a couple of great contracts on Ethereum that you want to use. You, you can't code them on the Bitcoin blockchain but you can use them on Ethereum. But on the other hand, um, you might not want to start your own Tether project and use it on Ethereum. You, you really would want to use Tether on Bitcoin as it is currently running, and you wouldn't want to maintain that solution. So in other words, the, the, the simplest and cheapest way to do it would be to orchestrate the two. If, of course, there is infrastructure that allows you to do something complex like that. 
and that's um that's what my project the blocknet does that that's interesting i can't wait we're definitely going to get into blockchain in detail and your competitors just want to stick to some of the high level stuff to begin with and arlen you know i guess the preface of interoperability assumes that either you know there won't be one blockchain that solves the scalability versus centralization versus security kind of trilemma here um yeah and it kind of feels to me like Serenity with Ethereum is kind of attacking that. And we're seeing a lot of, I guess, what's known as composability, where developers are using different infrastructure pieces on one chain to build applications. Like we have Veal, which just launched, uh, which is a mix yeah. of Ethereum, 0x, and Augur. Um, you know, do you think that we're actually going to have thousands of blockchains in the future? Or do you think that you know, we could have one dominant blockchain and interoperability might not be as important in the future? How do you feel about that? Um, I see them as, as, as separate benefits. Interoperability is, is necessary, but uh, good blockchain performance is also necessary for a lot of use cases. Um, I, I'll, I'll tell you why I think this. Let's say that, for example, um, Avalanche fulfills everybody's wildest dreams, and it does perform as well as everyone hopes. Um, it's, got, it's just a dream, right? Now, even if it does, if you were to code, um, you know, thousands of contracts onto Avalanche, then um, each separate project running any number of contracts on that chain would be vulnerable to certain events that that can cause a problem for the entire chain. And we became familiar uh, with this type of thing with CryptoKitties on Ethereum. It wasn't an enormous amount of usage, but it really did make everything horrible for every single other project on the network. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna say that I don't think it matters much how performant a blockchain is. Developers will always find ways to exploit as much power as possible, and they will hit the ceiling. And there will be a cost for other people trying to use the same blockchain for a different use case. Um, and that, to me, suggests. Uh, the situation that I've been kind of flabbergasted about for a long time on Ethereum, which is why every single ICO project doesn't clone Ethereum or fork it really, so they can just you know get all the updates and everything and, and keep going. Um, start their own blockchain and not have to worry about but every other project potentially making it a, an enormous mess for them. I mean, it's it just makes sense. I don't get it. I switched to proof of stake so that they're not vulnerable to. You know, being a small chain with a lot of not a lot of mining power, etc. Um, but apart from that, just just run your own chain. Um, so yeah, that's that's my perspective. I, I think it it just doesn't matter how performant a blockchain is. There is always a need for interoperability. That that's interesting, Arlen. And do you think that we're going to have thousands of blockchains that have to interoperate, or do you think that we're going to have maybe you know two or three that just handle trade offs differently, where one you know, focus on scale and throughput, maybe one on decentralization, one on security, et cetera? I think it's inevitable that there will be thousands. There already are thousands. Um, and that, that's not going to change. I mean, I, I'll tell you why I think this. Um, there, there are many examples I could give, but let's think about the current state of the Internet of Things. It's not really an Internet of Things. It's more many different intranets of things. Um, and the reason for that is that, um, firstly, there are big security issues. And secondly, there aren't some proper open standards that everyone has agreed to. Um, and so everyone is creating, these big corporations are creating 
um, fleets of devices that are all connected, but not to everything because it's extraordinarily scary. They're rather only connected to exactly what they want to be connected to or they're designed to be connected to. And so you've got all these different intranets. Um, now, um, sometimes it's useful for these things to speak to each other, and then you need to do an integration and deal with all the complexities of that. Uh, we're seeing something similar in the permission blockchain space uh, where there are many companies running various products from Hyperledger, for example. Um, and those, those don't really you know, natively speak to each other. Um, nonetheless, there are developers out there who um, will have an intrinsic interest in taking one useful service from one company and orchestrating it with another useful service from another com company. Um, and almost certainly orchestrating with various useful services on different public blockchains. So this scenario calls for um, some kind of infrastructure to orchestrate these different things easily and save a lot of headaches and a lot of time for the developers who need to orchestrate these different services. I don't really see the incentives lining up for everyone to use one chain ever. It's, there are always going to be thousands. Arlen, that's super interesting. I mean, do you think that, I know that you mean thousands of chains, but I mean, does it make sense to interoperate with all of those chains? I mean, in my mind, it might make sense to interoperate between like, I don't know, possibly like the cloud, Ethereum and Bitcoin maybe, but I just, I just find it hard mentally that like Enterprise 4000 would want to interoperate with Enterprise 4001. It just seems like they might just be on the same blockchain at that point. Uh, yeah, I think that's a good question. Um, Basically, uh, I'm, I'm not really proposing that every blockchain actively interoperates with everyone else. Uh, I'm proposing that there is the ability to quite easily make any one blockchain interoper interoperate with another one. Um, it's, it's basically an identical situation at, at a high level to the way the, e the API ecosystem works today, um, where there are just you know, millions of APIs out there. And if you're a developer, coding say a, a mobile app or something um you know these these different services don't already talk to each other but you you're the one who orchestrates them so maybe for example you'll need um some company that can look after customer information securely there might be another company that uh, is a payment gateway so if you want to process card payments you you use them there'll be a, a different company that does um out of band text message verification and so on and so forth and what you would do is you'd write an app an application server that invokes the apis of all these different entities and then orchestrates them and delivers the the application to people on their phones i'm it's essentially the same thing that i'm proposing for um, blockchain interoperability except that the entire thing is decentralized there are no app servers at all that, that's interesting. And Arlen, one of my last high-level questions for you, hopefully, before we dive into the specifics. Um, you know, I know that you're indifferent to like the value of different blockchains, but because you're running an interoperability protocol, which is great. But you know, how do you feel about um, the value of any individual blockchain if we have true interoperability? It seems to me if Bitcoin and Ethereum could interoperate perfectly, the value of each chain would would potentially fall, but I think the pie might get larger because of the applications we could build. So I'm kind of, I'm out of the gate on what exactly it'll drive. Yeah, that's a complex question, I think. Um, I think with something like Ethereum, if your average smart contract 
project started uh, started forking and 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 using their own, I mean, forking the code, not the blockchain, um, and using their own implementation of Ethereum, the, the the price of Ether would most likely go down because people would think that you know they were just taking the the IP and and you know using it elsewhere. On the other hand, um, I think for most blockchain projects it would probably secure the value in in a really beneficial way because provided there is a a real use case for uh, whatever is built on the blockchain then you'd be more likely to see genuine usage and um the people that you know done their crypto economics wisely and, and designed a good system that ought to do something good for the value of the coin um and that to me is what investors would more likely want to see they wouldn't want to see a chaotic environment where, you know, any one of thousands of projects might crash all the rest of them or um, a very bloated chain with no obvious use cases or maybe only a few use cases, which conceivably should be carrying all the other ones that are still bloating the chain. I mean, none of these add up to me. I'd really want to see a, a you know, a, a one service, one blockchain situation. That, I mean, and that works for technical reasons as well, obviously. Yeah, that makes sense, Arlen. And and um, one question on that, your point there. I mean, if, if we were to interoperate, say, Bitcoin, Ethereum, and for argument's sake, let's just say EOS is like, and then there's an app built on top of that. Um, let's say just consumer app one. Is that consumer app kind of, is the weakest link kind of the transaction throughput on the slowest chain? Or I'm just like, how does it all compile together? I feel like there's got to be a weak link somewhere here. Um. Well, it depends on the use case. Uh, let's say, for example, it's a decentralized exchange application. Um, that application uh, is is necessarily going to be dependent on the performance of the different chains. So if one um, just takes a long time to propagate messages across the its, its, uh, its peer-to-peer network, then the, uh, the order system would run more slowly across there. It's not an enormous amount we can do about that type of thing. Um, well, let me not say the order system. It's it's more like how long it'll take for a, the beginning of the atomic swap to kind of go from just created to kind of broadcast across the network. Um, but you know, um, I, I think that that type of question is, is what developers would need to think about very carefully when considering how to build their application. So they would be reviewing. Um, the performance of any number of blockchain projects and making sure that whatever they pick is definitely going to work for them because it's in their interest to deliver a great user experience to their users. That makes a lot of sense. Well, Arlen, we have the high level on, you know, why we need interoperability and what it solves and what it's attempting to solve. Let's move one layer down or one layer up, whichever way you're looking at this. And let's go into the types of interoperability schemes that we have out there. I know Vitalik put out a post about two years ago, and he he highlighted three kind of major ways to achieve this, and they're notary mm-hmm. schemes, relays, and hash time locks. Could you just give us mm-hmm. you know the high level on on the main sh- interoperability schemes you see today, and and maybe you know just what they are? All right. Um, yeah. Wow. I hadn't actually thought about Vitalik's views for for a while. I, to be honest, I haven't either, and I just saw the post. Uh, Alex Larson is someone I follow closely as a friend, and he mm-hmm. uh, had an interoperability post, and he posted it. And I, I looked at Vitalik's post, and I saw notary schemes, and Vitalik talks about Bitcoin sidechains, and then he talks about relays and 
reference is cosmos yeah. and then hashed is lightning. But uh, I'm just trying to get a sense of like, what are the different ways that people are attacking interoperability before right. we get into the specifics on Blocknet? Yes, of course. Um, all right. Uh, does he talk about relay chains? Uh, he does. Yes. That's interesting. I actually want to go read that again because it strikes me as a bad idea, but I wouldn't want to write him off without actually reviewing the idea again. I, I think um, he does. I mean, he mentions relays, but I, and I think he goes into relay chains. I'm not, not too sure. Okay. Well, uh, yeah, I'll need to look at that. Um, notaries, um, that's a bit surprising to me. Um, I tell you what, I, I don't want to get into... Um, his uh his paper because i haven't read it and i don't think i'd be able to do it justice um yeah no that's fine i mean is there just like main forms of interoperability you think of like are there like main types a b and c or anything like that or is everybody kind of using the same method um well architecturally i'm seeing uh, almost everybody using the same basic approach and i unfortunately think that the approach is mistaken um what people seem to want to do is they want to present themselves as a kind of internet of blockchains, but then they they propose that everyone uses their central blockchain to um, to do all the interoperability work. Uh, that that just doesn't add up from several perspectives. Um, to begin with, the point about an internet of blockchains is that it's supposed to be chain agnostic. Um, and this is very important because if if the proposed solution wasn't agnostic about which blockchain you use, then um, well, everyone would just basically have a turf war about which blockchain should be in the center, and that's actually what we're seeing at the moment. Um, Cosmos, Ion, uh, Polkadot. I mean, these are big projects with very talented people involved, and I have a lot of respect for things that they're doing. But I think that the fundamental approach is mistaken. It just doesn't work to present um, a proposed internet which is not agnostic about which chain is used. Um, so architecturally, I honestly think that's a mistake, but it doesn't mean that the projects have no use case. Um, put it this way, um, and I'll maybe get into this shortly in a bit more detail because I think it's, it's one of the core concepts. Um, you're going to need interchain infrastructure so a couple of things that are completely chain agnostic but then what each of these projects is proposing is that they have a blockchain that does something useful now from an interchain perspective these these blockchains are not functioning or shouldn't be thought of as functioning as interchain services they're actually functioning on the edge of the interchain um doing something useful that presumably people would want to pay for um, and that, to me, is an important distinction. It allows us to distinguish between the interchain and, say, edge services, which in this, these cases are all blockchains. Um, and you know, if, if you can make that distinction, then I think uh, it should lead to hopefully, uh, hopefully some separation of concerns and some, some separation of components, probably, um, that, are, that presents some properly interchain uh, and blockchain agnostic services. Then says, here's our value add. If you use a blockchain, then you can do X, Y, Z. And uh, surely you want to do that because, etc. And then you present your use case. And if developers take interest, then you have uh, 
a way to make money. Um, yeah. Anyway, so that that was a roundabout way saying of saying that I think that the way things are going at the moment are a little bit misguided, and that um, it'll still be a while before the interoperability industry gets its head around the fundamentals of of the problem that we face. That's that's a great segue into Blocknet and what you guys are doing, and an overview of of two of the major projects. For those who don't follow interoperability that closely, uh, Arlen's talking about Cosmos and Polkadot, I think specifically. And to be honest, they're very yeah. widely followed, very you know highly funded projects, um, and they're definitely making some headway. Um, Polkadot's run by Parity, pretty sure, and yes. Cosmos I think is its own thing. Uh, but let's go into. Yeah. What you're doing with Blocknet specifically, Arlen? I'm I'm definitely interested okay. in the architecture, but I want to know how you're attempting to solve interoperability differently. Of course. All right. Well, let me. Um, I'll start with Polkadot and and Cosmos. Um, first of all, though, I really don't want to make the claim that they're doing bad work because they aren't. They really are are doing some great work. Um, and I I follow Polkadot especially, and I've had conversations with with a few people from there, and really in depth ones. Um, but, um, let's, let's try start from first principles here. Um, I'd like you to imagine two separate peer to peer networks. Now, um, if you're going to have some kind of communication between the two, you're going to need some type of bridge between those two. Now it's not especially difficult to construct something that runs on a server. Um, that everyone would need to trust that uh, runs a node on each network and helps you to do some kind of interoperability. But that would course, be like the that would be like the notary scheme. Yeah, it's it's kind of it's kind of like any blockchain explorer with an API. You know, they'll run like fifty different blockchains, and you can go and query information from them. But you just have to trust their testimony. Um, Got it. Now. Uh, Let's say instead of that, that you had a, an, a, a peer-to-peer network instead of a server, and, that, and this peer-to-peer network was broadly connected to a number of blockchain networks. Now, what I've just done is I've described a decentralized interchain network. Now, this is definitely useful because we're no longer having to trust any one party um, because there are many, many entities doing this interchain work. And um, so you could conceivably ask very many of them what the story is and uh, compare the results, right? Now, this actually needs to go further. Third example, imagine um, that in addition to this interchain network running a bunch of nodes of different, um, of different chains, your average consumer of the services of this interchain network was also running nodes on different chains. Now, what that would enable them to do would be to prove to themselves data about what's going on in different chains while simultaneously orchestrating what's going on in the different chain. Now, that's, that to me is um, what I would call self-sovereign, not just decentralized in the sense of there being many actors, um, the technical word that I prefer to use for the previous example is distributed. Uh, this third example, which I call self-sovereign, is, I think, the correct use of the word decentralized. Because decentralizes, decentralization is about control. It's about um, 
who controls something that you might want to use. And if a, a truly decentralized system is where you control all the information that, that you need and you have the power to do exactly what you want without having to trust someone else's testimony. So in a situation where you have blockchain A and blockchain B and the tools to orchestrate them together, that is a truly decentralized setup. And um, the scenario here is, of course, one where one of the tools is, is this other peer-to-peer network between everybody else. Um, so what I've just described here is the architecture that I put forward in the BlockNet white paper. It is, um, is in my, it is, in my opinion, the only truly decentralized way to do blockchain interoperability. And without it, you just have to trust a third party or you have to um, persuade other users to put all their value um, down some sort of central blockchain pipe instead of um, having a properly blockchain agnostic solution. That's super interesting, Ron, and a great overview. And just for the listeners to compare and contrast so we could round all this out in our heads, where are the centralized points of failure, do you think, with Cosmos and Polkadot, or if there are any, or if you're just more decentralized? Well, with them, it's less that they, it's, it's not a, a matter of their having you know, built a server or something like that. It's rather that their central blockchains are extracting value. So whenever you're going to use um, those or, or, or a project like Ion, um, there are, you know, in, in, in typical situations, there, there would be their, their, their specific blockchain would be involved. Um, and there would be some kind of a fee or some kind of a something or other that necessarily invokes that blockchain in order for you to get across to some other blockchain. Um, so, I mean, Hopefully, I've been clear from my three examples prior to this, but um, that's just what I call interchain centralization. I'm not, I'm not trying to say that the central blockchain is um, not a decentralized thing in its own right, but from the interchain perspective, it's absolutely just centralizing all this interchain stuff around one blockchain. That, that makes sense, Ron. And, and correct me if I'm misunderstanding this, uh, but I mean, isn't the point to pay fees on say Polkadot, aren't the fees used to kind of incentivize validators and, and to grow out their network? I mean, do you think that paying fees could potentially help build out their network? Or do you think that it just leads back to the point you just described? Um, well, I, I, I think that it, that is what they're for, the fees. And um, I think that it will do what they hope it'll do. Um, and I don't think that's a bad thing either, uh, just considered in itself. It's just that... Um, what users are paying for is a finality guarantee from the Polkadot chain. And, uh, well, you know, if there are use cases for that, then that's fantastic and people will use it. Um, the thing is, you know, it, it just isn't chain agnostic. There are many use cases that don't need any finality guarantees from a third chain because the chains, the other chains themselves offer all the finality guarantees you could ever want. Um, and so, you know, as a developer or as a user, I would want to be free to pick any chain I like and not be required to go through, you know, some middle chain. Arlen, I'm, now I'm getting it circling around for me. I mean, so basically what you're saying is that if you use Polkadot, you're, you have to basically rely on the Polkadot network 
to give you your validity or, or your final finalization. Whereas if you use yeah. BlockNet, you don't have to because you're relying on the actual chain where the transaction takes place and you remove this Polkadot third party. Yes. Got it. That makes that makes sense. I didn't know that. I actually didn't know that Polkadot introduced its own chain or, um, you know, people had to rely on that for validity. I, I assume that yeah. the point of interoperability was to potentially pick a blockchain that you could have finality on maybe or something like that. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, it's, it's it's surprising. Um, I had a really good conversation with uh, one of their security developers at, at DevCon last year, and and came away with that understanding that it is about it is about um, offering finality guarantees about events on different blockchains. Um, wow, kind of, kind of crazy. But I mean, I, I honestly don't think that's a bad idea. I think it's an amazing idea, and I think it takes people as talented as them to to develop it. But the question for me is conceptual. It's more um, that it, it's more about defining and understanding clearly what interchain interoperability is, rather than saying, "Oh, that's not a useful service." It is useful. It's just not purely interchain. Yeah, no, that that makes sense. I, I just I'm just trying to envision like if I'm a developer and I want to build an application and I want finality, like why would I choose Polkadot? that's then pegged to another chain when I could just use a chain that has finality baked in. Am I thinking about that the right yeah. way? Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I honestly was so surprised when I heard it and I thought, what are the use cases for that? But, um, you know, it's, it's not completely foreign to me. Um, I mean, I'll give you an example from the BlockNet. What we have in addition to our interchain services are uh, what, I, what I called an, an edge service earlier. Um, an edge service is not interchain. It is, a, in our case, a blockchain-based service. Um, now, what we did is on top of the, the interchain infrastructure, we built a decentralized exchange. And part of the decentralized exchange is an, an order system. Um, so you need to place an order, and the order needs to be broadcast to any other traders, and uh, they need to compile their order book locally. Um, and then we have a, a system where orders are matched. And this system is as decentralized as, as anything else. Um, now, the way that we did it is that um, in order to match an order, um, it's important that we remove spammers and make it expensive for people to spam the network. Now, um, this is a you know it's just a public peer-to-peer network, our order system. Anyone can post anything on there without some kind of anti-spam measure. So what we do is our... Um, we have a system of service nodes that exist on this 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 network overlay, um, and what they do is they sign these orders. And so, if you, as a counterparty, want to consume an order, you're going to check for the signature. Now, um, what happens is, in order to get your your order signed, you pay a very small transaction fee. Sorry, to consume an order, not not to place to 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 add a new order, only to consume. You pay a small transaction fee. Um, that fee is paid in BlockNet tokens. So what we have done is we've offered an edge service. It doesn't exist as an interchain service. It exists on the edge of the interchain. And it makes it, it does something useful. It allows you to use a public notice board as an order book and not to worry too much about spam. Um, now, I think that's actually what Polkadot is doing. It's a very similar thing. The difference is that I'm not defining this this order system as an interchain service. I'm defining it as an as an edge service. 
Got it. No, that that's interesting. And Arlen, I think at this point it, it might make sense just to go into the three core components of BlockNet. I know you've been hitting on them as we've been talking, but if yeah. we could just go into like XBridge, XName, and XGen, I think it would make a lot of sense. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Um, so uh, we do blockchain routing and peer-to-peer data transport, and um, we have an interchain network overlay. These are these kinds of core functions. Um, and uh, on top of that, what we built are, of course, our decentralized exchange service um, and uh, an, in- an interchain messaging service and um, a way of looking at which service runs on which blockchain. Some of these are in various states of advancement. Um, where they are right now um, is we have a, a component, uh, well, some code called XRouter, XRouter for Americans, who um, seem to interpret routing rather differently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, around about here, if you say router, it's, it's like a, a fitting for a drill where you kind of you know, make holes in things. <laughs> Anyway. Yeah, it's uh, blockchain. Blockchain and crypto introduces me to people with a lot of different accents. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> quite confusing. I've, I've learned a lot in the last year. Uh, but anyway, um, so uh, blockchain routing is a matter of figuring out figuring out which service runs on which blockchain. Um, it is, of course, a proper interchain service. Um, it needs to be chain agnostic. There needs to be a way of um, of basically populating some routing tables on your local application. Um, and of course, to do that, you need to do a lookup request um, to a peer-to-peer network, which is our interchain network. From there, there are a bunch of entities who can supply you with useful information. Um, and of course, the information is not something you should just trust because this is a public peer-to-peer network and people can feed you any information at all. What you need to do is you need to construct a proof uh, that the information you've received is truthful. And this is a pattern that should go right across anything in the blockchain space. Um, so in our case, we have this X router technology. Um, it enables you to do what's called an SPV proof, simplified payment verification. That that's actually detailed in Satoshi's original white paper. Pretty simple. Um, it's basically a matter of requesting the same information from different peers and then comparing their responses. And if they all tell you the same story, then um, you have a small chance that one entity controls all those different peers and is feeding the same false information from every single peer. Um, so that's how you can, uh, you can get data about different blockchains and check for yourself that it's truthful. So Arlen, the, the blockchain routers is kind of like a DNS type system or is uh yes uh, it's it's a little bit it's it's more similar to um border gateway protocol but that's only for people who are really into the uh different bits and pieces of the internet um but by all means google bgp and um take a look at how it works yeah no no of course so i mean does, does that require everybody to agree to use this system or like is that like does this have to be an industry standard or can you implement your blockchain router like regardless of that? Uh, well, it, it works the way it works. I mean, it, you know, it's a component. It's not, it's not only a protocol. It's a protocol coded into an actual application. Um, now, 
it isn't a standard at present, but we're absolutely working toward interoperability standards. Um, we we would we are working toward being the the interchange standard, and for good reason. Uh, we we really want to avoid a kind of a, a turf war, which I think is what's going to happen if every interoperability project out there ends up basically trying to force their users to use their blockchain. Um, we don't want these projects to stop using their blockchains. I think they have good uses, but we do want a clearer space in the middle that is completely blockchain agnostic and standards-based so that ideally we'll have something like TCP IP that you know, will not... I mean, think about how TCP IP works. You know, no website is going to say, hey, we don't like the standard. We're going to use our own thing because it privileges other websites over us. I mean, that's the point. You know, it's, it just doesn't privilege any one website over any other website. Um, and that's exactly what we need in the interchange space. We need something that's ag agnostic and makes sense and works well. And then naturally, everyone would have an interest in using it. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense, Arlen. And, you know, on your website, blocknet.co, it's linked, we're going to link in the show notes below, but you guys have one of my favorite product roadmaps because it's just so clear. You have all your products, you yeah, have the lines you. color coded. I mean, I don't know how long this took you, but I really like it. But Oh, it took know, ages. Yeah. <laughs> we had so many conversations about that thing. Yeah, I don't even know how I would make this on Excel, but <laughs> it's interesting. But, you know, unlike Cosmos and Polkadot, I know that they're kind of gearing up for launches. I think Polkadot's maybe a year or two out. I think Cosmos launched Testnets and is hopefully launching soon. But you guys, from what I understand, is are live, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you could use the decentralized exchange today. You can use Xrata today. Um, I think uh, if anyone is is interested, I'd for Xrata um, and for developers, I'd recommend api.blocknet.co. They can get probably all the information they'd need from from there. Um, and then for traders, uh, go to blocknet.co, download BlockDX, BlockDEX. That's a, a, a beautiful application it's not designed for developers it's designed for regular traders um and that allows you to, to to use decentralized exchange in a i think a very uh very user-friendly way got it that's interesting and yeah i'm looking on uh api.blockdet.co and, and the first line is you know build powerful apis to build multi-chain applications it, it reminds me a lot of kind of like what twilio does in cloud 2.0 that's interesting. Yeah. Well, well, yeah. we'll see. I mean, uh, one of the big ambitions that um, the Blocknet has is to frictionlessly monetize APIs. And um, I think this is fantastic. I mean, I, I have a background in solutions architecture in a kind of a mobile app context. And um, it's, it's an enormous headache to monetize an API. It's very difficult. And it normally breaks the user experience because there, there are many click-throughs and there's sort of fraud risk and then you have to have all these backroom negotiations about the transaction fees to off offset the fraud. Um, you need to do complex integrations to uh, payment gateways and to third, you know, out-of-band out of uh, identity verifiers and all, all kinds of really cluttery stuff. Now, instead of that, imagine that your API has an intrinsic token of value. And so to make a payment, you can do an atomic swap with no counterparty risk whatsoever. There are no 
awkward click-throughs. There, there's no need for checking that someone is who they say they are. Um, there are no complicated backroom negotiations. Uh, the fees are utterly tiny. I mean, it's kind of incredible. And that's what we're looking at. Arlen, that's huge. So, I mean, people know Twilio and they're a huge API company. They're the ones that send you all your, you know, text alerts on two-factor authentication and stuff like that. But in that sense, you're paying a company who then provides the APIs. What you're saying is you want to actually tokenize or monetize the actual APIs themselves. Yeah. And of course, it's, um, it's the, the architecture is radically different. Uh, I mean, what, what we're looking at is a situation where any node on a blockchain network can, um, and that's literally every user of, of an API, um, has a component where the API exists on the local machine and the API is invoked over local host. And so you're kind of talking only on your own machine. And that's quite a lot more secure than communicating over the open internet. Um, and from there, uh, you can consume services on that on that blockchain. So if if uh, you're a developer and you're constructing an, an interchain application, um, the typical scenario I have in my in mind is on a mobile phone, for example, you're going to be running a light wallet or, or a light multi wallet. Call it that. So you've got connections to um, to many different blockchain networks on this thing. You don't have any any full blockchains locally, so it doesn't take up a lot of space, but you've got however many different blockchain networks you need for your application right over there. And you're in, you're actually talking via API, maybe not necessarily API, it could be through libraries or anything else, um, but you're actually communicating directly with these different peer-to-peer -peer networks from the application. Um, and from there, you're orchestrating what's, what you're getting back from the networks and delivering the service on a beautiful mobile application that works like it should and looks great to, to the user. That's, that's awesome, Marlon. And I don't think a lot of people talk about monetizing APIs, but it sounds from my mind, like you won't be able to do this on Polkadot because you're trusting the centralized party to, or the validators to handle these calls. Is that the way to think about it? Or, um, no, I, I don't, I'm not sure. I think you probably can. Um, I mean, you, you, it all that it, it requires is that you'd be running um, uh, presumably a, a like a light wallet for a, a Polkadot blockchain. Um, you could still decentralize APIs. I, I just haven't picked up that that's the focus of um, of, of Polkadot. I mean, this, yeah, this whole no. API focus is is something that the Blocknet has. Um, well, I mean, Arlen, that's huge. I mean, can't you? So you basically, like, you're giving. Can you give us an example of like? If I have a developer, like let's say Sam Corso is an advisor to text uh, to 51%, he runs techsuite.io and he does a lot of work for me and other okay. clients. I mean, if he's building an API and like, let's say it's a basic API or, or some basic function, like, you know, retrieve mm -hmm. data from Bitcoin and put it on Ethereum for some reason, you're saying okay. that he could tokenize that so anybody could use it? Uh, yeah, yeah, I would like to think so. Um, so you, I, I mean, you're right on the, sorry, go ahead. So, um, let's say it's a, let's start with your, your use case, right? Um, someone wants information about a transaction, a Bitcoin transaction, and then they might also want some information about an Ethereum transaction. Um, and 
you can you, you build a, an interchain DAP that can directly query peers on both networks. Um, I wouldn't think that that one's easy to to monetize, um, and there's a reason for that. Basically, uh, if you're going to use a blockchain in your business model, um, I think of a blockchain as a way of being really sure about potentially any given data set. Now, in order to actually be sure about a data set, you need a way of um, of committing data to that chain that um, is kind of bulletproof, right? And uh, analogous to how proof of work makes it pretty much impossible to double spend a Bitcoin transaction. So let's call this, if you don't mind me borrowing a term from elsewhere in cryptography, uh, a commitment scheme. You're going to need to come up with a way of committing data to your own chain. Um, once you can do that, you've got a valuable resource which people would want to consume. Um, from there, you need to deliver that data to your users. Um, and because it's a peer-to-peer network and there's you know sort of anybody who could serve any kind of information and maybe dishonest information to, to potential consumers, you're going to need what I'll call a proof scheme. Um, your consumers of this network, of this service, are going to need to prove to themselves that the data that they've got is truthful. Um, so in other words, I've sketched two, two sides of a process. There's a commitment scheme and there's a proof scheme. If you're going to monetize um, a blockchain, you're going to need both. Um, so in other words, to, to come to a conclusion, um, a service, an interchain service that wants to make money um, would need to think about what data they're going to commit to a chain. And then um, they're going to need to use some of the BlockNet's technology, ideally, to handle the proof scheme and in doing so deliver data in a trustless manner to the, the users of their service. That's interesting, right? It, the, 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 this API market we're discussing is new to me, but I, I find it really interesting. But let's, let's go back just for a second, just to round out our, our competition discussion here. Um, right. I, I know we spoke a lot about Polkadot. We spoke a lot about BlockNet. Um, let's talk for a second about Cosmos. I mean, what's your take on what they're doing? Maybe any issues there or how it relates to what you're doing? I know, I know you've touched on it, but I just want to round out the discussion. Well, um, I'm not too sure where to start, actually. Um, I guess there's quite a, uh, quite a lot of things that, that just aren't really my style with Cosmos. Um, that whole delegated proof of stake thing just does not sit well with me. Just even apart from what I've already said about, um, you know, what, uh, about being truly interchain and not using a central blockchain. Um, I guess uh, a delegated proof of stake just looks too much like a, a cloud server setup where you have a distributed a large <clears throat> excuse me a, a large number of, of servers distributed across the world uh, you know and achieving really fast finality because it's extremely easy whenever you centralize depos is sort of the same type of thing it's very concerning to me <laughs> um so i don't understand that choice i don't know why anyone wants to go with depos um Arlen, it's, it seems like um one of your main concerns is that Cosmos and Polkadot have their own consensus mechanisms, so you have to trust them, whereas BlockNet, you don't have to. I mean, it sounds like to me like that's the main takeaway from our conversation. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. 
Um, although I, I, the gloss on that, of course, is that it doesn't mean that these things have no use. It just means that they're not interchain. Um, Got it. And Arlen, what's the, like, what's the other side of this for BlockNet though? Like, what's the, like, can you run into any problems by BlockNet not having consensus in itself? I honestly haven't, I haven't been able to think of a, a, a real systemic problem. I just, it, this, this comes from just identifying what interchain is. Um, it just necessarily isn't running your own central chain. It can't be, otherwise it's not interchain, um, not in a decentralized way. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I guess the, what I was sketching a moment ago about commitment and proof schemes um, is just the type of thing you need to solve when, when you're doing interchain services. And uh, the BlockNet is here to, to provide ways of, 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 of getting around that and solving those problems. And I think, um, yeah, that's, that's what we're for, right? And we're doing work yeah. that, that, that makes it possible. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. I'm just like, um, I guess I might be thinking about consensus wrong here, but I just don't know why the bridge between blockchains should have consensus. I feel like, because like, what if the consensus on the chain or the bridge goes against the individual chain itself, then you're like totally destroying the reason to interoperate the two. The, the only reason I see consensus yeah. on the bridges is just like the ordering of the transactions and making sure everything's correct between the chains. But if you have true interchain between the chains, I don't think you need that. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I mean, I, it gets worse as well. I mean, imagine um, you need to log on your, on your kind of interoperability blockchain. Um, events that happen on all the other blockchains in order to provide finality guarantees to your users. All that, all that you've done is you've basically taken, you know, not probably not all the information that's being logged to all the other chains, but maybe quite a lot of it and just sort of lumped it into some enormous middle chain. And I mean, the bloat on that would be absolutely unbelievable. That's not a solution. That's just a, a big centralizing move. It's it's kind of maximalism in an interchain context, right? It's, yeah. We're going to log and make sure that all the information that makes it into our interoperability chain is true. And then you don't need to rely on all these other chains because we have the final say. I mean, that's that doesn't make sense. That's just centralizing. Yeah, no, that, that's a good point. Right, well, let's circle, let's close this out and circle back on everything. So, I mean, you guys are live. Uh, which is great. I mean, I guess people are waiting to see like, you know, real use cases built on different chains. And I know you outline a bunch of potential use cases in your white paper. Could you walk us through, you know, some of your favorite use cases that you think could happen using interoperability? Yeah. Um, okay. I wonder, I wonder if I, I mean, should get out a document. And, uh, I mean, to be honest, my favorite is the... The mobile app exploiting multiple chains is is probably one I picked out. That's definitely one of my favorite ideas. But yeah, yeah. Well, I could take you through a couple. Um, let's say, um, well, it take automotive telematics. Right, all the big automobile companies have got, you know, rolling supercomputers that they sell to you these days. And these things are highly networked. Um, they're always sending data back to, to the factory. Well, not the factory, but to the source. And that data is, is quite valuable. Um, and it's, you know, it, it gets used for many purposes. Now, 
each one of these um, these companies has, well, I'm not sure if they all have uh, proprietary systems, but there definitely isn't one system between all the, the manufacturers. Now, some of them are trying out blockchains for interesting stuff. Um, maybe in five years or 10 years, um, it'll be clearer to all of them what a blockchain is useful, in that con- useful for in that context and what it isn't useful for. Now, I would love to see a situation where um, every car has a, the ability to form a mesh net with all the other cars around it. And this, it's a mesh net, so it's reconfiguring all the time based on which cars come into range. And um, these, these cars are able to exchange information extremely quickly. Now, this type of system is quite, it's sort of broadly similar to at least some peer-to-peer networks that blockchains run on. Um, now, imagine, uh, for example, a car, five cars ahead of you, hits the brakes very suddenly. That car could send the message to the cars around it that it's hitting a brake, and all those other cars behind it could slow down a lot more quickly than you'd be able to 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 react and and, and therefore prevent accidents. I mean, that's an amazing use case, right? Yeah, that that would be huge. I guess so. I guess the question though is that that hinges that all of these different cars have different systems, right? And they have to interoperate. I mean. I guess that goes yeah. against like, what if there was one standard they all use? But I guess the idea here yeah. is that there wouldn't be standards. Well, I, I want, I mean, as a, someone who's blockchain agnostic, I'm quite happy for them to all be using different blockchains or different peer-to-peer networks. Um, but I, I would be very interested um, in their all adopting a standard interchain overlay this is a network overlay it's also peer-to-peer and it needs to have the the type of performance characteristics that will allow um, messages to go very quickly between cars when they need to Um, now i haven't really done justice to this use case because the real the real driver would be what to do with the data how to monetize it and especially in the eu what counts as personal information um, and what should not be shared and then to me this feeds directly into the thing that blockchains are so good at which is acting in a self-sovereign manner so imagine some of the most important metadata actually turns out to be um, something that ought to be the sovereign property of the owner of the car Uh, they would then be able to essentially sell this data for micro fees using decentralized apis to perhaps the manufacturer or to governments who want to use this data to improve their road networks or anything else. And now we're really talking, right? We've got this interchain stack, which provides a mesh net for fast communication, transforming the, the, the safety of the road system, all the while logging data to each of the cars, which then can be sold in a self-sovereign manner to whoever finds it useful. And that's, while protecting the personal information of every driver. Yeah, Arlen, that, that's a great example. I, I guess the dystopian version of that would be all the insurance companies using all the data to you know, work together and pinpoint who they could charge the most. <laughs> yeah, that's where self-sovereignty is really, really important. <laughs> yeah. you, don't be, you don't want to just have you know, these companies acquiring your information without your permission. That's yeah, but, but Arlen, I mean, just question your example on the cars i mean this assumes that say every car manufacturer is using its own blockchain or every vehicle type is using its own blockchain and they have to interoperate or 
where well i would like it to be a, a a very kind of composable situation some could opt in to one thing and not another thing right we wouldn't want to try force anything on on people because if this is about interoperability standards and um, you can't coerce people um you can't coerce these companies to run anything you just have to make it in their interest to adopt it so um let's say that we modularize our our interchain overlay network um maybe there's a library or even a standalone software component that that anyone can run that allows them to connect to the the interchain and get peers on all manner of different blockchain networks that's something that um i would think these automobile manufacturers would be interested in provided that it performs in a way that 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 works for the the safety situation um yeah sounds pretty good they'd also be getting all this data from different cars i mean surely that's useful to them so uh, i i'd say that they'd be in, they'd be incentivized to run that yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And and Arlen, on the interoperability side, I, I just released a deep dive on Definity, and I kind of took some issues with it. Um, mm-hmm. I'm wondering, you know, wh- what's your feelings on having public blockchains interoperate with the cloud? It seems like that could solve a lot of storage and compute issues. Like, is that something that we need BlockNet for? Is that something that we can do today? Or how exactly is that tackled? Um, with the cloud? Yeah, like if I like, let's say I want to run like you know an Ethereum smart contract, and I just want to do the compute on the cloud and maybe store the state yeah. on Ethereum. Like, is that hard to do today, or is that something on your roadmap, or is that something that's not a oh, focus? Oh, I see. Okay, so this is um, exploiting the the processing power of data centers to um, to get all this computation done. Um, I think there are use cases for um, to think through uh, that involve the cloud and involve. Uh, interchain scenarios but you know what people are doing now is um kind of already the way that ethereum runs um i mean uh i've just gone blank on the the company that basically runs most of ethereum you know it's it's just extraordinarily expensive um to to, space-wise and um and uh in other terms too to run a full node so a lot of a lot of entities are just using a third party that really just does keep up to speed on the state of the chain and uh, unfortunately it means that most people are depending on the third party most of these supposedly decentralized projects oh gotcha yeah I, i'm not I'm sure really maybe. bummed i've just gone blank on the name though <laughs> uh, the, the both of us <laughs> yeah uh, um, maybe i should look it up i don't know but but i mean that interoperability with the cloud like is that a focus for you or or no um, well, not not in that with that use case. Um, I think, uh, I mean, we we would like we we take an interest in in something like um, perhaps being able to allow users to to script um, a setup in AWS, for example, where maybe they run a whole bunch of different nodes and um, spin them up instantly. I mean, that would be useful uh, because if you're a developer and um, you you know you want to create an interchain setup you don't need to figure it all out on your own if you can just press a button in aws run a script and off it goes um but that's more kind of kind of back-end infrastructure than sort of big use cases that um that are on their own interchain services it's just this is just kind of back-end tooling to create interchain services you know gotcha yeah that that makes sense i just i i just think if i'm 
doing the back end and I want to run a like a blockchain game or something, I'd rather have AWS and have tens of thousands of transactions a second versus EOS where I only have 21 nodes and can only get 50 or 100 transactions per second, uh, you know, per white oh, yeah. block study, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'd, I'd love it even more if some kind of crazy decentralized a- AWS came about, but... um. <laughs> Yeah, trust me, uh, I'll send you my DFINITY report. I'll link to it in the show notes. I I don't think it's possible for a number of reasons, but Uh uh, I guess we'll see what happens. I I think it's a great idea for autonomous software where, you know, software can grow and evolve over time. But I just don't see why that can't be on a public blockchain to begin with. Uh, Yeah, well, uh, I'm looking forward to your report. I mean, it sounds, sounds like it's well worth a read. Yeah, I'll send it over. And Arlen, one of my last questions for you, um, you know, there's a big cultural divide between, well, in the media, between developers on Bitcoin, Ethereum, EOS and others. And generally, mm-hmm. they're all financially based. Um, you know, one of the problems I see for interoperability is just having developers say on Bitcoin, say, hey, you know what, we really like MakerDAO and Ethereum. Let's use that in our application we're building. When do you think that these cultural problems between the blockchains could drive real interoperability? Because I feel like there's a huge rift here. Um, I don't know. I don't know how they can easily drive interoperability. Um, I think what's more likely to happen is, is that developers will just see something irresistible and stop being maximalists. Um, so typical situation, right? There is a, a great contract on Ethereum that you can't write on Bitcoin, um, but then they need to use Bitcoins for whatever reason. Um, probably because other people have Bitcoin, their users will have Bitcoin. Um, what do they do? They're, they're, without something like the Blocknet, everything is expensive, right? You, you're going to need very special skills to code your own contract on some other chain. Um, or you're going to need to do something very complex, like creating a colored coin on uh, Ethereum that does the work that your other thing, in this case, Bitcoin would do, and then have some kind of two-way peg from the Bitcoin chain to Ethereum so that people can kind of securely park Bitcoins and not trust a, a central party. Um, and coding that will is just a headache. It's really, you need special skills and it takes a lot of time and costs a lot of money. But, you know, if instead of that, you could just orchestrate the two chains um, and have a project like us having thought this out for four years and come, come up with a decent solution that is secure and works, well, then you've just saved millions. And it's, you, just, you have tools right in front of you that you can use today and solve the problem. I mean, that, that actually makes a project feasible as opposed to making it ridiculous and, and open-ended. So, I yeah. mean, I, I see this happening. I, I, I see developers increasingly going, oh, hold on. We don't have to code smart contracts. We can just use the existing ones, even if they're not on some other chain. This is magic. Well, why don't we just do that? I mean, it's a no-brainer, really. So in essence, interoperability between chains drives composability. It's not like a war that I was kind of thinking it was. Well, it's probably also going to be a war, and let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's true. Sure. loves a war. Yeah. And Arlen, I, I guess a question closer to home for you. I mean, how do you handle, like you guys are live in different aspects and which is great, but you know, how do you handle, you know, versing these Goliaths? I mean, Parity is a huge company person, you know, pushing Polkadot. They yeah. run one of the largest client use clients for Ethereum. I mean, do you think yeah. that developers will just say like, 
you know, hey, we don't need consensus on the bridge. Let's use BlockNet. Or what do you think happens there? Um, well, uh, I'm not sure. I mean, I've honestly never really felt intimidated by these projects because I actually want to work with them. Um, I mean, from the beginning, you know, the BlockNet is set up to be a connector between things. It's not supposed to kind of dominate the show, right? I mean, if we've done something that's useful, then people can use it. We don't, we, we don't want to block anybody from doing that. And I think that, you know, we've been around for a while. We have real technology that you can use today. And so while it obviously doesn't guarantee that people will use it, the fact that it's real is actually quite rare in crypto. And so I just naturally expect people to use it. And we are starting to see interesting usage. So, um, yeah, I, I guess for me, um, I'll continue to have conversations with, with you know, people from Parity and anywhere else. Um, I would love, I would love it very much if someone came along and built some application that uses something from from Polkadot, but uses something from the Blocknet. I mean, it's it's really not supposed to be, and I just don't see the use of thinking in terms of out and out competition. Yeah, <laughs> it's that, so early, that, right? No, you're right. We are so early. I mean, it, hopefully, in a like a utopian world, if if you're linking two parties and say Polkadot's linking two parties and and you share a common denominator, you guys can work together in some sense. Yeah, and I mean they've done good work. I'd I'd love to use some of the stuff that they've done, um, and I wouldn't hesitate to recommend they work to someone who wants to build something that you know th- their thing would come in handy for. Um, yeah, yeah, it, it it just. I just don't think they're solving the same problem that we're we're trying to solve. So yeah, that makes sense. Well, it's it's uh it's confusing to get a grasp of the market. Like, I mean, we're early in blockchain, let alone interoperability, and there's not that much info out there than the white paper. So it's it's hard yeah. for people to imagine, you know, the space. Yeah, it's very early. Um, you're right. I, I think maybe in a couple of years, people will be a lot clearer on what interoperability is like, and maybe more people understand that. Um, these projects aren't all solving the same problems, even though they're using the same word. Yeah, that that's true. And Arlen, I got one last question just to round out the war for you and just to think abstractly here on this stuff. I mean, right. let's say that Ethereum with Serenity is wildly successful, um, which I, uh-huh. I, I'm i bullish on Ethereum, full disclosure, I own some, but um, yeah. I think it's a longer timeline than people think. And I think there'll definitely be issues with it. But Let's say that it's wildly successful and we have 1,024 shards and proof of stake works and we have validators and everything's great. And in that sense, we have high transaction throughput, high decentralization, et cetera. Do you think that Mm -hmm. that would uh, lead all developers to build on it and then there would be like a greatly reduced need for interoperability? Or do you think that going back to your earlier statement, we would still need it? I think we'd still need it. I think that interoperability infrastructure would still make people's lives easier. Um, and as I said before, uh, it, you know, if you raise the ceiling, uh, you make a, a blockchain more performant, developers will just consume those extra resources. I mean, this is natural, right? You know, if, if you're used to a, a laptop and then you get yourself like a good gaming desktop, you're going to max the graphics out as far as they're going to go. You're going to consume all the juice that that powerful desktop can give you because your gameplay will, will be better. I mean, this is just how it goes, right? Yeah, no, that, that, that's a good point. And, you know, we didn't really talk about, I guess the trade-offs, if, if all these interoperability platforms are the same, would probably come down to security and user experience at that point. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I mean, it's obviously a complicated scenario and that one analogy is not going to cover all the cases. And I think when I certainly hope there'll be cases where the, the kind of ceiling is not reached quickly, um, for Ethereum, but even then I just still fundamentally don't see why every single Ethereum project doesn't just fork it and make their own, make their own implementation and, and have a chain with no bloat. Uh, that bloats much more slowly and no other network traffic except you know the the, the the traffic for their own their own project i mean this just makes sense to me you, you just lock out a whole bunch of risks you can do it today you don't have to wait for a beautiful future when ethereum is more performant i mean it's a no-brainer <laughs> yeah i mean if everyone forked ethereum though i mean how would people track like funds and everything of the ico on the main chain though would that be Kind of reduces. Oh, yeah, they wouldn't be. They'd be tracking on it on the different the new chain. It wouldn't be on the main chain. Gotcha, gotcha. And you know, Arlen, I mean, on the Serenity question, I mean, isn't a bet on Blocknet or a bet on interoperability a bet a, not a bet against, but a hedge against one dominant blockchain? Because you guys are indifferent to who wins. Hmm. Maybe. Um. I I guess so. Although strictly speaking, a, a bet on Blocknet. Um, isn't isn't a bet on the entire interchain firstly there are competitors who are doing or shall i say other interoperability projects who are doing different things with only a small amount of overlap um but secondly the 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 way that the blocknet token is monetized and the way where the way it acquires value is um through the use of the decentralized exchange service now while the more people who use the interchain is going to correlate to more people using using the decentralized exchange. It's not a one-to-one relationship there. There are uses um, that don't involve decentralized exchange and therefore um, will not be adding value to the Blocknet token. That said, uh, we are looking at, um, we do have some payment channels built uh, for the use of XRouter and that also involves Blocknet tokens. So Absolutely, that's not the only way in which in which um, value is added to to the to the, to the token. But um, yeah, it, it just it doesn't follow that you know investing in blocknet tokens is investing in interchain. Got it. And Arlen, are you concerned? I know you just mentioned decentralized exchange there as a component of what you guys are doing. Um, are you concerned with like any piecemeal infrastructure being built that could? You know, be competitive. Like, are you guys concerned with Zero X's decentralized exchange protocol, or is that like too piecemeal to kind of compete with you guys? Oh, we actually love Zero X. Um, our plans remain to integrate with them. Actually, um, they are. Uh, I, I think the thing I love about them the most is that they invented the um, the protocol token. So their whole idea was instead of duplicating contracts. Um, and um, basically having you know many different things on Ethereum or any other chain that are doing the same job, they proposed um, that they have a kind of a standard, the zero X protocol that anyone can use, and they want to make it the type of thing that other people would want to use, and that's that's absolutely in line with our our mentality. Um, it would be silly of us uh, to duplicate zero X on Ethereum, right? It'd be cleverer for us to to work with them so that um, 
not only do we gain all the liquidity that's going on in their protocol, but um, they get to gain all the kind of interchain interoperability that that we can offer, and it's a win-win for everybody. And uh, we're we're building we're building infrastructure. You know, we it's kind of kind of makes sense to play it that way. I think. Yeah, that, that's interesting. I like that you guys. I like that we're starting to see other projects leverage existing projects to build new apps instead of reinventing the wheel every time. Um, yeah, I mean, and, this is what I call the token ecosystem. We're, we're we're geared toward this whole ecosystem of contracts, all of which have their own tokens, all kind of interacting in a very liquid way. And I, I cannot wait. It's going to be an amazing world. Yeah, that that's huge. Well, Arlen, what is most like what year is most exciting for you? Do you think that we're going to see interoperability take off in 2019? Do you think this is 2025? Mm-hmm. Where where do you think that this really comes to a head? Uh, I'm seeing a, a curve. I think um, it kicked off in March 2017. It's it's kind of funny, but it really did feel like it was that exact month. Um, <laughs> we started in in you know October. November 2014 and March 2017 was the last time someone said to me on Bitcoin talk that the blocknet has no use case. Um, in that same month, everybody started to figure out that interoperability was a thing. And, you know, by the, by the end of 2017, there were like a hundred decentralized exchange projects that had sort of sprung out of the ground. These other things, these other interoperability things that started up and, you know, this year there's, there's a lot going on and I'm just seeing the kind of the rate of discovery of, of the interchain accelerating. Um, I can't say exactly when we'll have like massive usage. Um, that to me is, is kind of, it's the kind of thing where, you know, you just sort of stumble on a crypto kitties and something analogous to that in the interchain space. And suddenly there's enormous usage. Um, and we can't really predict when that's going to come along, but it absolutely will. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense, Arla. And you know, one of my favorite posts or tweet storms is Eric Connor's response to Jimmy Song, where you know Jimmy Song lists all these applications he wants built on Bitcoin, and then Eric responds with all the existing applications that are already built on Ethereum. So I, oh, yeah. I would, you know, I'm indifferent to or like I don't care who wins, but um, I have my own opinions. But I think yeah. that not reinventing the wheel every time could save everybody just so much time. Absolutely. Yeah, there's, there's no need for that. Um, if people drop the kind of competitive mentality and think more about the ecosystem, think more about infrastructure, and um, maybe just get a sense of just how big the space is and how ex- how much more powerful the space will be as a whole, and how, from a business perspective, how much more money you can make as a whole in a healthy ecosystem as opposed to a small ecosystem full of competitive fighting. It's it's really a no-brainer in my view. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, Arlen, this has been the most comprehensive post or podcast in our probability, I think, so far. I mean, is there anything that Super. I forgot to ask you or anything you want to talk about that we might have missed? Um, no, not really. I mean, you know, we could go down all kinds of interesting rabbit holes that are really digging into details about either how the blocknet works or what interchain interoperability looks like and all the rest. Um, but I mean, yeah, how long do we have, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, we have some more time if you want. I mean, one of the, the last questions I want to have for you or another question is, you know, I, I hate to harp on this, but I would really like to see like non-blockchain devs get interested in crypto. Cause I think there's 
million, oh, yeah. obviously. I mean, and interoperability is like a key aspect of that. I mean, are any of your competitors or are you focused on that or like, like, uh, you know what I mean? Um, yeah, no, that's, that's a great question. Um, I would love to see that because it's extremely difficult to get really good code quality in crypto. Um, there are so few people who can do it well and the security requirements are so high that unless some of the critical stuff is done well, it just doesn't work at all. And that applies to your average smart contract. Um, so basically, you know, the, I, I would love this ecosystem approach. I love an interoperability approach because it means that once you've got something done well, you don't need to duplicate it. You don't need to put it on different chains for it to be useful. You just make it available. And then the vast majority of, of developers who know, who know APIs, they know front end, they know all the sort of usual things to make great experiences on the web or on mobile apps um, can get stuck in, can use the tools and, and just go for it. Uh, that's, that's, what I, that's what I want. It'll be better for crypto because crypto knows next to nothing about user experience. Um, and it would definitely help <laughs> the security models of all these projects. Yeah, no, that's for sure. UX and crypto is terrible. Uh, but yeah. I think that you know, if developers could spend less time reinventing things that are already built and more time on UX, we could go a long way with this stuff. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's for sure. Well, Arlen, where could people follow you and learn more about BlockNet and everything that you're working on? All right. Well, the, the starting point is blocknet.co. That is our, our website. And from there, they can get to the API documentation if they're developers. We have a new uh, do document portal coming out. Um, and that's for, as far as I understand it, pretty much anyone who wants to use anything. Um, there's, of course, BlockDex, which is a, a, a beautiful application that is intended for traders. Um, then uh, when it comes to contacting me personally, I would say Twitter is your best bet. Um, my handle is Arlen Colwick, A-R-L-Y-N-C-U-L-W-I-C-K. And um, yeah, uh, the community is centered on our Discord server. Um, you, can get an in, you can get invited and add yourself to the Discord server through our website. And of course, we're on you know, all the usual social media channels. That's awesome. Well, Arlen, I'm going to link to everything you just mentioned in the show notes so people could easily click it. But it's been an absolute Super. pleasure having you on. Yeah, it's been great. Thank you for the conversation. Thanks for listening. Please rate, review, and share the podcast. Help other people find it. And use coupon code 50 for 50% off a retail subscription to 51pct.io.